I think too often students are, you know, counseled into the field with little guidance on what it's going to feel like once they leave, which I think it for a lot of us who laughed and realized it's really scary <laughs> is like, yep. um, I mean, I took my position at Merrimack because I was unemployed and I didn't have a job. And I interviewed for a lot of marketing positions because I went to school at Ithaca for journalism. And so I did my GA in communications and I was like, I'm so marketable. I have this higher ed experience. I have this, these two years as a GA, my boss quit while I was a GA. So I like was the full-time person for a while. I have operations experience yo, I'm so marketable. Like I'm going to get a job, right? No, I didn't, obviously. Oh. Um, I mean, neither did I. Yeah. I don't know if you know much about my search. <laughs> I, it took me yeah, a minute. It took us a hot minute. But, you know, so I, and I ended up getting lucky and I realized that I was like, oh, admission is the perfect balance of marketing and student affairs, which is exactly what all of my background leads to. Um, but a lot of people aren't that lucky and then they burn out and then they're like, oh, I paid a lot of dollars for this degree in higher education. And now I don't want to do that. So what do I do? So I, and this goes for, I mean, all of my programs in general, not just higher ed. I encourage students to think about, do you really want to go back to school? What are you going to do with this degree? What is this degree going to get you? Why are you going back to school? Are you going back to school to further your education? Are you looking for a certification or are you just going back to the school to delay your life? Which, I mean, at the end of the day, it's everyone's personal decision whether or not they want to go back to school. But I, I feel personally responsible when students are like, oh, I just am going back to school because I'm not really sure what I want to do and I don't want to do life yet. Like, Grad school isn't really the time to do that. I'm like, don't <laughs> do that. Like, I feel like so many students get into grad school and they don't realize that it's school. Welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Biderman, bringing you another episode of this podcast that I like to make out of the kindness and warmth of my heart. I have so much fun doing it. This week is part two of the grad school prep conversation that started last week, where I'm talking to five of my colleagues in the field who are relatively fresh uh, professionals. And uh, we're continuing the conversation that we had last week where we're talking about professional expectations, how grad schools prep us or don't prep us uh, properly for the field, and really what it should look like moving forward. Um, you're going to once again hear from my colleague Lisa Gilbert, Joe Ibarra, Verada Pigram Floyd, Derek Picard, and Alyssa Fry Orlando. They're from all over the country. They've gone to school at programs all over the country as well, maybe not even where they are working now. So they're bringing a lot of different perspectives as we dive into looking at, today we're looking at a lot of um, professional expectations and some advice for people looking into getting into graduate programs themselves. Uh, I'll do a quick uh, intro for each person as they start speaking, as the uh, episode will continue the format from last week's um, conversation. Also, there won't be really an ad break this week except for uh, a music break to share with you new tunes from the band Kindling, who are from uh, Western Massachusetts. Uh, and they are, uh, they were recently signed to 6131 Records, and their new album, Hush, comes out this Friday. Uh, I got the vinyl copy of the, the new album on the way. Can't wait to get it. And I can't wait to hear the whole album. You get to hear a couple tracks from it this week. But for now, let's get into the rest of this conversation. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends, tell potential grad students, tell really everyone, and follow us on social media at EduPunksPod, E-D-U-P-O-N-X-Pod. And yeah, I think that's all I got. Let's, let's, uh, let's, get, let's get to it. 
I guess in talking about like even moving through or even getting into the field, do you feel like um, higher ed student affairs needs to like reexamine our professional expectations of like even getting into the field? Is masters required necessary? Um, are we kind of just becoming overpopulated with people with all these master's degrees, but not a whole lot of work? What do you, what do you, what do you think about all that? I always look at things from a practical standpoint. Oh, hey, that's Derek Picard. He works at Mitchell College in New London, Connecticut. Um, so if somebody can come in with a with a bachelor's degree and they can do the job just as well as I can, please bring them on board. I know there are certain things in master's programs that we go over, but a lot of those things, I believe, are things that can be taught. You can learn a lot of those things on the job. The politics, you kind of just have to dig in the trenches for I think it's tricky with master's programs because I think some institutions and I think some professionals, and I know I've done this a couple times when I was at the university of Louisville and, and talking with people is we use student involvement as a pipeline into the student affairs world. And I think sometimes we, grab people and we say, hey, you'd be great in student affairs for a few different reasons. Either number one, you're heavily involved or as bad as this one sounds. Number two, you're part of a minority population and you can speak up for those students. And we kind of just toss them into the wolves. It's also kind of weird that we do some of that kind of stuff because it feels like we just tokenize a lot of people in doing that. It's like, oh, you have a, you're a person of color. You can do this diversity work, but yeah, maybe do. that's not what they want to do. Right. And so it's, it's tricky. I think the master's degree helps in some sense with some of the classes that are covered. But I also, I'm also of the camp, like I said earlier, if somebody can come in and do the jobs that the institution is looking for, regardless of whatever the functional area is, if they can come in and they can do the job, then absolutely. Let's look at them, let's bring them in and, you know, have that conversation about this is what the job is, this is what it looks like. I'm glad that you also agree that if if there's someone who can come in and uh, they might not have a master's degree, but they're ready to go, bring them on. Bring them in. Go ahead. Let them learn on the job. And to me, that's really how, to me, that's the best way to learn. I didn't work in housing as a graduate student. I was an RA as an undergrad, but that's a totally separate ballgame, being, you know, the undergraduate RA to now being the hall director, right? And I know that there's a, I know now that there's a difference between responding to an incident as a student versus responding as a staff member. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that's something that you you learn on the job. We can talk we can talk policies and procedures all day long, but until a particular incident happens and you actually go through it, the everything else is theoretical. I think grad school is a necessity for getting in the field by virtue of the fact that higher ed has made it a necessity. That knowledge was just dropped by Verada Pigram Floyd from the University of Oregon. Um, and so what I mean by that is when you look at these jobs, just like you mentioned, and it's funny because that's one of the, the, the things that I was going to mention, is we talk about these masters required, in most cases required, not preferred, but you're paying people 28000 Yeah. Or you're paying people 35000 mm-hmm. So you're not paying people what they just paid for their master's degree. They're going in debt for less pay. Right. And then you get into these institutions who, you know, part of these programs is around the theory. You don't use theory in your practice. Thank you. (laughs) So then why is a master's preferred? I cannot answer that. On it, like I can say that I went and got a master's degree because I, I wanted personal enrichment, and because I was born in a box and I was refused to stay there. Um, 
And so that's part of the reason why I got a master's degree and also part of my motivation for getting ready to apply to a doctoral program. Um, So I think that that is definitely an issue. The, the master's preferred, sorry, the master's required, and then the not using theory or evidence-based practices in our practice. I think that when we look at the NASPA ACPA competencies, we are not living up to those competencies at any of our institutions. Now, some departments or programs may be better than that, um, better in that effort than others. But as a field, collectively, we are not doing this work. Um, And I think that is an issue. Another thing that I just got finished talking with a colleague of mine, a really good friend of mine, um, and she's in a doctoral program now in higher ed. And we were talking about leadership and the lack of mentorship that is coming from these higher ed institutions Again, especially for folks with minoritized identities. So you want us to stay here and do this labor for your institution, but you don't want to mentor me so I can move up. And so I can have more opportunities for my family or my future. Cool. Gotcha. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's real. That's probably how the conversation goes. (laughs) Or, you know, again, with with that, and I know that there was a a Twitter thread um, about this by Dr. Lazarus Stewart about this notion of work-life balance and how, like, that's fake and it doesn't exist. Mm. And again, Mm -hmm. it comes from the graduate programs and thinking about, like, the assistantships that come with graduate programs. So we got these grads running around here doing full-time professional labor. They're not getting paid full-time professional salary. They may not have benefits. And so there's a lot that needs to rapidly change. And FLSA um, was supposed to help have help us engage in that conversation in a more meaningful way. But even then, it was problematic. Why? Forced conversation. It should be a natural conversation. And then we're not addressing that on all levels. We're addressing that for positions that were in a certain bracket of pay but we're not addressing that throughout higher education. So there's a lot of things that need to change in higher education and, and just even the cost, but that's a whole another conversation. So I'm not going to go there. I think it depends on what you're doing, right? And that's Alyssa Fry Orlando. She works at Merrimack college. You're going to hear a lot from her on this episode. So for me, I advise and counsel graduate students on a daily basis to not know how that feels and to not know what it was like to have gone through graduate school, I don't think I could effectively do my job. And I don't think anybody working with graduate students should have less than a master's degree. I just don't. It doesn't make sense to me Um, because their experience is so shortened and so much more intense than a bachelor's level experience that it requires the knowledge of having gone through it, I think. Um. But I do think there is room in the field for more entry-level employees with bachelor's degrees only. And I think that it would make it more accessible to people who are interested in finding out if higher ed is the right fit for them, just like any other industry, without making them pay an exorbitant amount of money or getting a degree that maybe is not right for them. Um, Hmm. because I know plenty of like me, for instance, in my office alone, um, we have two people who got their degrees in school counseling, master's degrees, two people, myself included, who got their degrees in higher ed, one person who got their master's degree in Spanish, one who's getting her master's degree in management and one who got hers in organizational leadership and development, I want to say. Um, and while not all of us work in non, like primarily non-student facing positions, we have, um, we're like graduate and professional studies. So we also work with bachelor's completion students and we work with graduate completion students and we advise those students, you know, we set them up with plans of study. Some of our program managers are academic advisors. So, 
their all of their learned skills are just as valuable as their graduate degrees are, even though they may not be 100% relevant to the specific industry that we're working in. Um, and I know plenty of other people in higher ed who got their master's degrees in something else, and they're totally competent individuals who are really good at their jobs. <laughs> um, hmm. So <clears throat> I do think some things are missing when you don't go through a higher ed program and you're working in student-facing positions, um, you know, lots of student development theory uh, gaps, but nothing that can't be read or learned. And I think it is easier to learn student development theory when you work with students. Um, yeah. Because I took student development theory in my one semester where I wasn't doing an assistantship <coughs> that was student-facing, and I found it much harder. And the second I started my internship at Tufts, my second year, I was like, wow, I get this now. Like, of course, because I'm working with students, um, which is why the assistantship in, like, in conjunction with a master's program is so important because it helps you learn the things you're actually doing in class. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if, if the answer is master's degree required. I don't know if the answer is let's get rid of the master's degree because that's not going to happen either. But no. And I think it is. I, I, I say this with a grain of salt because, you know, I work in a industry where things are, it's better if things are trendy, but I tend to think that the masters in student affairs is really trendy right now. I don't know. I don't know. It's I, cool. It's hip. It's like, you want to like, work with college students. Yeah. That's tight. It's like, it's like, I, Oh, you're doing that. I want to do that too. Like that sounds cool. That sounds like a good job. Um, but it's also it's also the the trendiness has a little bit of a danger because it's created a little, little bit, bit of uh, oversaturation of oh, the market sure. mm -hmm. and an oversaturation of market of students who all want to have the same job. Exactly, and there are only so many of those jobs yeah. because you can't have you don't generally have multiple student activities coordinators or wellness educators or exactly yeah. like. In for when I was looking for jobs, I wanted wellness jobs, but I ended up applying for over, I think I applied for just shy of a hundred jobs yeah. during my job search. Only three were wellness jobs. <laughs> yeah. I got interviews for two of those wellness jobs and I got one of the wellness yeah, jobs. Yeah, exactly. So it was not a lot, but there are a lot of residence life jobs. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of those out there, but then there's a whole segment of people who don't really want to do that yeah. either. So. Mm -hmm. And I'm one, I mean, I'm not afraid to say that I am one of those people who admires and respects the residence educators on our campus, but it is not something, but I think that's really bold of people to say like, you know, that's not a place that I could see myself yeah. and I'm not going to try to fit that because I think if I did try to do that, I would just be like ruining students' educations on a regular basis. And I mean, I think I ruined students' education on a regular basis, and that's just my focus in life. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like my driving force. <laughs> I question if some of the work that we do requires a master's degree. We'll start with that point. And that's Lisa Gilbert. She works at Coastal Carolina University. Because like, I look at the number of institutions where they have um, and it's predominantly, I feel like smaller institutions where they have professionals who are doing the same work, um, of people with master's degrees who don't have them and they're doing the work just fine. And like, they're doing it to the same caliber and they're getting the same sort of experience. Um, and so like, I think for instance, drawing from like my background, the perfect example of that is the hall director position. Um, my undergrad, we didn't have grad students. We had hall directors who were bachelor level hall directors. Um, and I can't say that they did anything different, better or worse than I as a community coordinator with a master's degree am now doing. Um, and so I think that there are some aspects of um, our work in this field that doesn't necessarily require the master's degree. Um, but then I also think that where I'm at in my life, three years post-master's, and then you figure the two years of my grad school. So like five years out from undergrad, now working with undergrads, I feel like I'm in a better place to be supervising them than I would have been someone with just a bachelor. So then I kind of think about, is it 
not necessarily the masters that's important, but it's the experiential piece in terms of having a couple of years to remove myself age wise um, from the same students that I'm supervising. Cause like as a grad student, it was exponentially harder for me to supervise RAs when I was six months, maybe older than some of the people that I was supervising. Whereas now there are several, several years there. Um, and so I wonder like how much of it is that age slash experience versus the education um, or are they commingled? Um, and then I think that there are some positions on campuses where like the master's is really important, um, but I don't necessarily know that every position on a university campus demands a master's degree. And that's very much where our field has gotten. And I don't necessarily know I can't say if that's right or wrong um, because like I am not, I've never worked from the, I did not work professionally before going into my master's program. I went straight out of grad school. So I can't say that, you know, if I had worked one year without it as a hall director to get some experience before transitioning into a master's program, if that would have been beneficial or not. But I feel like the work that I'm doing and that I saw people doing when I was an undergrad with people who were bachelor level hall directors, like, I don't necessarily think that there's a difference in the quality of that work. But then I also think about other functional areas in terms of like academic advising, which is something that I have never done. And the extent of my experience is just having been advised when needing to take academic courses. Like would an academic advisor say that the education piece was more beneficial? And if there were pieces of that educational experience that directly ties into them advising people in a very educational academic setting. Um, and so I think that it's one of those things where there, I feel like there are definitely some positions in our field that probably need the masters more than others, but yeah, I think once you get to a certain level, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I, I would say that like we as a field, I think, have very much gotten to a point where it's like everyone needs a master's. And I don't necessarily know that that's the right assessment. I think that there are definitely some who need it more than others. But then I even think post masters like there, especially I feel like at a lot of the mid to large size institutions, we've gotten to a point where once you hit a certain professional level, it's an expectation that you have a doctorate. Um, but like how does researching one topic area make me more qualified than not having researched that one specific topic area that I'm doing my dis dissertation on. And so like at a lot of, I think like, for instance, like a lot of large state public, you know, major research institutions, you get the, to those like director levels or VP levels. And it's the expectation that you have a doctorate. Mm -hmm. Whereas the institution that I'm working at currently um, is a little like our former senior director of housing, he's now a vice president, um, and our dean of students, neither one of them have doctorates. And from my perspective, in terms of working closely with both of them, they do just as great of work as people I know who are on their level with doctorates. And so then I question, again, if they're doing the same quality work and they're doing it just as successfully, how necessary is that terminal degree for them? Um, and are they getting it because it's, in, do they need to get it because it's an expectation from higher, higher up? Um, that is communicated that because you have reached X level within our institutional's hierarchy that you need a doctorate? Um, is that just a field expectation? And again, like how necessary is it if you're already doing the work and you're doing it well? Well, I definitely think we need to re-examine some things. And that's Joe Ybarra. He works at Sam Houston University in Huntsville, Texas. Uh, coming out of grad school uh, with a lot of these entry-level positions, it was a lot of we would like for you to have three to five years and like seven degrees and <laughs> all yeah. these experiences. And it's like, okay, I understand why you want to have that, but you're not going to have that unless you have a person that has been in an entry level job and uh, has just deciding to go to another entry level job. What's fascinating where I'm at, I have a lot of, uh, colleagues that are working on their master's degrees right now they're full-time professionals but they're working on their master's degree and they're definitely super capable of doing their jobs in uh, some instances i think that they're definitely more capable than people with uh, master's degrees because they haven't been how can i say it indoctrinated with uh, certain ideas certain methodologies certain uh, certain things it's always good to have like a good well-rounded 
experiences, well-rounded experiences on a team. And so is a master's degree preferable? Yes. I mean, I, th- I definitely think so. I mean, especially since I worked so hard at it. But at the same time, <laughs> it's like I, I see how valuable just having the actual experience is as well. And so just making sure that those jobs are actually promoted and everything and being like, maybe something that would be good would probably be like, hey, we have these entry level positions open. Uh, if you have a bachelor's degree, cool, that's fine. But we would like for you to, to uh, get started on your master's, let's say, two, maybe three years in. Uh, that's definitely something in general education, K through 12. I know in uh, Indiana, a lot of uh, my colleagues are facing, they were in the field for probably about uh, three to four years, and now they're being asked uh, by their administration, hey, it's we're glad you're here and everything else. We would like for you to get started on classes. This is the support that we're going to give you. And so, yeah, I think that would definitely be valuable in the student affairs field as well. I think there's students who don't want to see that their skills are transferable, maybe just like are naive to the fact that, you know, they did an assistantship in student activities. So they have to work in student activities. Right. But, yeah, and I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, I encourage students if people are listening to me right now, I don't know if you are. Um, <laughs> I encourage, I mean, I encourage students to really, you know, talk to the people on their campuses, email random people, I answer every email I get. So I promise you that most people also do that. Which actually, that's not true. But some people answer every email they get. And if you email enough people, somebody will answer you. And you can ask them anything about their job. And they'll probably tell you the truth. Um, I just met with a girl who's applying to one of our programs. Um, she was, she, and the, I have never gotten this question in a, in a, informal interview before, which sometimes we do those, um, on campus. And she asked me, you know, like, how did you get into higher ed? And like, what do you think is the best part about like what you do? And I was like, wow, I can't believe somebody asked me that. Um, and I told her like my whole story, I told her, I, you know, I went to, I went to a small liberal arts college. Then I went to BC. I sort of liked it. It was kind of cool. And then I, really didn't know what I still, still didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I applied to quite literally every job on tiredjobs.com in Boston. Um, cause that's where I now live. And I interviewed for a job at Merrimack. And then on the way out, the admission team said, Oh, we want to meet with you too, because we have a job opening also. And I didn't get that other job, but I got the admissions job. <laughs> There you go. So, I mean, you you never know what's around any corner and it is foolish of students who have no work experience and a piece of paper that weighs 0.1 ounce to say, I'm not interested in your position because it doesn't fit me. It probably does. A lot of people in higher ed are awesome. And some of the teams that are at institutions, like I know some people of places that used to work and places that... I have worked with professionals in other capacities in I'm like, wow, I want to work at your school. Not because I really want to have a job there, but because you guys are cool and I want to be your friends and I want to like work with you and collaborate. And you never know of those opportunities until, you know, students are in those interviews and speaking with those professionals. So I think it's silly of students to say, Oh, I'm a, I'm a conduct professional. I'm like, yeah. What is that? I mean, until you're until you're until, like a decade deep. Exactly, right? You don't know what type I'm of like, professional you are yet. I'm like I mean, I'm almost 2 years into my job and I don't think I would call myself a professional at nearly anything. Um, no, and I, 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 that's one of my main <laughs> jokes when I do talks at like our orientations and stuff. I go, I know I don't look like a professional anything, but I can assure you I know some stuff about some things exactly. and my job covers some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, that's like, totally hitting the nail right on that. Like students, I mean, you're not a professional at 22 at anything unless you're like Simone Biles and you're yeah. winning the Olympics and yeah. flips and stuff. But you know, like it's just, you're, you might be really good at working with students, which is awesome and needed in every functional area across the board. 
because the amount of people that I've met who are not good at working with students who work in 100% student facing positions is astounding. <laughs> All right, time for a quick music break. Thanks to our friends at 6131 Records who are putting out the brand new Kindling album this Friday. It is called Hush. The song you're about to hear is called Destroy Yourself. You're, you've already heard bits and pieces of the song For Olive. But uh, if you're not familiar with the band, they are a very fuzzy, dream-gazy kind of band uh, that I've I've really come to enjoy this style of music over the last couple of years. They're from right here in Massachusetts. They put out a, an album last year. Uh, which is they're turning over. They're putting out another full-length album. Uh, their album last year was called Everywhere Else, and they actually also put out an EP at the very beginning of this year called No Generation, which you can also get at 6131 uh, Records. So if you want to hear more from Kindling, check them out on all of the social medias. Please do that. Um, give them some follows so you can keep up on all the gigs that they're going to be playing, they're going to be <clears throat> going on a quick East Coast tour in the in the upcoming uh, upcoming weeks. They're going to be right here in Massachusetts in just like a week and a half, which is really exciting. Uh, but you can also check out their site at kindling.com, which is k-n-d-l-n-g dot com. You can also go to K-N-D-L-N-G, so kindling without the eyes, dot bandcamp dot com. I'll put links in the show notes so you can hear uh, all the all the tunes that you want to hear from Kindling. And also go to 6131 Records so that you can pre-order the album uh, on vinyl, cassette. They're putting it out on digital as well. However you consume music, get it in your ears. Um, also... Something I've put together is a playlist of all of the tunes that I've shared through the through the EduPunks podcast. I will link that in the show notes as well. It's just called EduPunk Jams. Um, everything that we've shared uh, that is available on Spotify is on this playlist. So if you've been wanting to get some new tunes and you haven't checked out every episode, you can check out all of these songs that we've put out on this podcast on that playlist. All right. Now, let's check out the song Destroy Yourself by Kindling off of their new album, Hush, out on 61301 Records this Friday.
That was Destroy Yourself by Kindling. Get it this Friday through 6131 Records. Go to 6131records.com to get yourself a copy of that album. Uh, and check out Kindling as they're going to be on tour on, of the East Coast. I'll put up some dates so that you can go and check that out. Check them out. And please, please, please support great, good music. And now let's get back to this conversation with all these fun professionals chatting about grad school stuff. Now to close out, uh, what advice do you have right now for people who are looking to go into or are looking for grad programs or looking just to go into a grad program? What advice would you give to them to like even survive grad school? (laughs) Um, I think the first part is being real honest with yourself and asking yourself the hard questions of what is the point? Why are you getting, why are you wanting to go to grad school? Um, What is it that you are looking for in a program? And I think also recognizing that you might not be in a place personally to know those answers. And so you need to be willing to seek them out. Um, and so like looking back, I really wish that I had had a broader, um, like sense or perspective of what grad school was going to be. Cause there are a lot of questions that I would have asked in my search process, like looking back at pieces of this work that I really enjoy, um, especially like in terms of helping students who are going through crisis experiences, I wish I had gone to a more counseling based program. Um, I think that in terms of where my passion areas are within work, a counseling-based program would have been so much more beneficial for me than a bunch of research classes when I am currently 96% sure I never want a doctorate. Um, And I don't necessarily do work that requires the extensive research that my program had prepared me for. And so, like, those are things that I never would have known to ask or to think about as an undergrad, because as far as I knew, um, a master's degree was a master's degree in higher education. And so when I was searching, I listened to a lot of the, um, basically like the BS about like what program was better because there's always those stupid lists that go around ranking higher education programs, right? Like what are the top 10 higher ed programs in the Southeast or the top 10 programs nationwide or whatever. Um, Or just in Boston. Right. Um, (laughs) right. And so knowing that, um, I feel like I let a lot of that BS kind of influence my search for grad schools when if I had had a better understanding of what this work was going to entail and what I um, was going to like what I enjoyed and why I was coming into it, I would have been able to better cater my search. I think the other big piece is not being afraid to ask people what their experience was like and what is the what is it like working professionally? And so not just relying on grad students um, to mentor undergrads. And I think that that's another issue that we have with our field getting oversaturated is that we have a lot of the younger graduate students slash younger professionals who are doing a lot of the mentoring for undergrads um, who are considering going into this field, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think one of the negative drawbacks from that is that we have not necessarily been, we have not always been in this work long enough to be able to give them a realistic viewpoint of what it's going to be like long-term working in this field. And I wonder how much those um, quote unquote rose colored lenses really kind of colors the way that we are describing student affairs and higher education and grad school to students who are looking to actually enter this field alongside of us. And so I think the other piece is I would encourage undergraduates who are currently grad searching, or if they're not undergrad, if they've waited a couple of years, whomever it is, don't just talk to grad students. Talk to professionals of varying experience levels. Like talk to people who are new entry-level professionals. Talk to mid-level. Um, even talk to some upper-level if you have access to those people to get a better understanding and a more holistic, I guess, viewpoint of what working in this field really looks like. Cause once you get a better feeling of what it's going to be like, I feel like you're better able to look at, okay, what do I need higher, like master's program wise to be prepared to work in that? Do I need more assistance 
um, in that counseling-based sort of education because I'm going to be working with students who are going to need that from me, or am I going to be working in more of an academic side where maybe a research-based program would be more beneficial, um, or a more administrative-focused program is going to be beneficial. Um, and I don't think that you're necessarily going to get that from people who are just in the programs currently because they're not going to necessarily have the experience to draw from. So I think two things. Uh, I want to echo one of the points I mentioned earlier about really having that candid conversation, not just with supervisors, but also with yourself about why it is that you want to get into student affairs. Um, And if it's because you're interested and you're invested in the development of the students that you're going to work with, then I think the rest kind of falls into place. Um, As far as surviving grad school, if you can find the institution, number one, that is going to cover your cost of going to that institution, um, but also reach out to your cohort members. We're all, y'all are all going to be going through the same, not the same exact stress, but you guys will all be going through the same type of stress mm-hmm. once certain seasons begin to roll around, right? The first semester is always a stressful time because it's new. You have no idea what you're getting into. Some of it feels familiar because you're still in the classroom environment, but it's a new degree. It's a new program. It's new people. And then I also think once job season approaches, like it's okay to like kick back and relax a little bit. I know that sounds counterintuitive because everyone's so hyper-focused on getting the job and everybody wants to get a job before they graduate. And I feel like sometimes people just get hyper-competitive. Oh, yeah. And it becomes like this weird comparison game of, well, oh, Craig got a job before I did. So Craig must be, I guess, a better professional than I am or student than I am. It's wonderful feeling like you uh, are completely um, uh, are are a complete imposter when people are getting jobs before you. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It was just, you know, and you want. There's always. I always laugh because you know, in that initial moment, I had a couple of people who got jobs before I did and before we graduated. It's funny because in those initial moments, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so happy for you. Like, you're going to do amazing and blah, 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 blah. And then like 10 seconds after you walk away from them, you're like, God damn it. Like, really? Oh. And you should be able to you should be able to celebrate people's success without feeling that way. Right? Mm hmm. I don't want to say trust the process because I've grown to despise that phrase to an extent. Good, good. And I would probably <laughs> censor you. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say that because I just, I can't bring myself to say that as a piece of advice to people anymore. Um, but you have to be able to relax and celebrate people's success. Um, you can't go into this job hunting process at each other's throats. I mean, you can. But, well, you could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might not work out that well. So I think grad school in general, something that I would um, advise about, and I'll talk about it in, in the general standpoint, not just from like, oh, apply to Seattle U. Um, I love my time there, but any, any institution has issues. What I would say is, first and foremost, Understand that the program you come out of and the experience you may have had in undergrad is not the same thing in grad school. And I have dual meanings there. Working in this field is not the same thing as being a student leader in this field. And I think sometimes people from undergrad have this notion of like, oh, I'm going to work in this field and I'm going to have the same experience that I had in undergrad. And that is not the you want to continue to have this great experience, but it's not the same thing. And there are certain things that you're going to be privy to that you were not privy to as an undergraduate student. So if you're trying to do this work because you think it's going to be the same exact experience, do not. I don't recommend you do this work because you're going to struggle. Um, So there's that. But the other meaning that I have is that, for example, like I talked about, I was a social work major. 
I came from a program that had this very understanding, this very clear understanding of social justice. And even my classmates who did have these privileged identities were very aware of how these identities um, interact with other identities they had, but also um, how their privilege, they needed to be aware of that for when they were interacting with clients and really trying to advocate for clients and thinking about intention versus impact. When I started my grad program at Seattle U in 2007, I was interacting with folks who didn't know anything about a Jesuit, who um, didn't understand that Seattle U was very social justice focused. And so we're not fully invested in certain conversations and we're rolled our eyes when I would speak. I thought that I was coming into this environment and going to have the same experience that I had just left from my undergraduate program in terms of same experience of like people that understood these issues and really how to support students. And they did not. So you're going to be starting over again with these new people who are not going to have the same kind of context around certain issues. So I think recognizing that first and foremost, you're not going to have the same experience from undergrad. I think another piece of advice is recognize like when you are feeling overwhelmed and find whatever those outlets are, whether that is like yoga or I'm going to go to a poetry slam or I'm going to have mine was I don't do any homework on Saturday. That is my run in the streets day. You can ask Emily Fogg. She's my good friend. She knows about that term. It's my running the streets day. Um, and so ran the streets, did no homework and Sunday I was back at it. So understanding that self-care needs to exist even in grad school and you need to start developing though, whatever those mechanisms are for taking care of yourself now. Oh, and this is for folks seeking grads program. Sorry. But I think that's important now too. I also think when it comes to like the preview days for programs, do what you can afford to do. Do not try to go to all the preview days if you can't afford it. And it's okay if you cannot afford it. They should have some kind of alternate process too, because they reckon or they should recognize that not everybody can afford to come to every single thing because people are applying anywhere to like three to six or three to 10 programs, depending on your ambition level. No, there's a lot of great stuff in there that, um, is really important and especially like having that day that's for you um during grad school is important i think it was my also my saturdays as well so um taking advantage of the day off that you give yourself um is important i think it's it's equally important when you become a full-time professional too to have those days where you just don't don't mess with email don't mess with students don't do anything just shut off from the world of work and just do you um, and relax, try to relax a little bit because our jobs aren't easy. And a lot of the times, even when you're in grad school, you're doing a lot of the work as a, uh, of a professional, but without the like benefit or um, incentivized labor of being a professional. So it's important what you brought up. I, I really appreciate that. Some advice I definitely think is extremely valuable is uh, campus involvement doesn't stop when you, you are finished with being an undergrad. Uh, in your classes, in the textbooks, it talks about how important it is to uh, be involved on campus. And let's say you decide to go to school on the other side of the country, going from the East Coast to the West Coast. Uh, there's nothing that says that you can't get involved in a student organization or student government or, or uh, even Greek life. I mean, that's something that I ended up doing. I joined a IFC fraternity uh, and a fraternity council fraternity uh, during my graduate experience. And I was able to uh, not only read about why it's important to get involved uh, in my textbooks, but I was actually to experience, I was able to experience it at the same time. Um, I think it's also important that to definitely do well with uh, self-care as well. I mean, uh, something that I did from day one was uh, realized that my undergraduate experience wasn't uh, sunshines and rainbows, mainly because I wasn't I wasn't having self care. I wasn't 
uh, talking or asking questions whenever I was having issues. I wasn't uh, setting aside time time to de-stress. And so, I mean, during graduate school, like I started uh, going to our rec center uh, in the mornings with uh, one of my friends uh, in the cohort. And uh, we just started learning how to lift weights. And so it was just uh, something we did for 45 minutes each day, but it was definitely something that uh, definitely lifted a lot of stress out because uh, we were... Literally. (laughs) Yeah, literally. And so uh, we literally were just able to de-stress, talk about the day before or maybe some projects that we were getting ready to uh, work on, but it wasn't in the classroom setting. It wasn't in an office setting. It was uh, somewhere... Uh, that we both could just de-stress in a healthy fashion. And uh, also, when it comes to another thing, uh, grad school related, uh, is very easy to fall into. You, you have schoolwork, and then you go to your assistantship. And a lot of people just focus on those two realms. So uh, if you can maybe even get involved in a community somehow get an, a group of friends outside of your cohort because at some point it's like maybe six months or even the last semester of your graduate school experience you're probably gonna get a little bit annoyed by the tendencies of some of your cohort members but that's okay that's natural and everything else but you know it's good to have another set of friends that you can just escape to uh, whenever you're having those issues. As for the graduate school search, I mean, uh, something that I did was I took a year off uh, in between my undergraduate and graduate school year. Same. I, I think that we, we, we kind of had a similar approach there. We took a year off, didn't do the GRE. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, something that I did was like, I really wanted to be focused on the graduate school search i wanted to save up a lot of money because i had no idea uh where i was going to land uh what the, how much the assistantship was going to be covering or anything like that and so i saved up as much as i could uh throughout throughout that one year definitely took the summer off to for more saving up and i was able to graduate from grad school with zero student loan debt Dang. and so and uh, that that was only possible through planning and uh, making sure that I had all my ducks in a row before I jumped in feet first. Dang, that sounds great. Yeah, I definitely have still a little bit of that debt, but uh, I'm uh, ch- hopefully changing my my own understanding of my own financial literacy. <laughs> I think the last thing that I d- I would probably add is it's very tempting to stay in your bubble. Uh, I, in all honesty, it was like, even though I stayed at Indiana State, I wanted to make sure that my experiences were, uh, very, how can I say it? They were definitely, it was a wide variety of experiences that I had. So when it came to those practicum experiences, I was at other schools and other offices, uh, during the summer, I could have easily gone to, uh, do an Akuhawai internship, but I didn't want to box myself in. I wanted to have a wide variety of internships. So um, my first one was multicultural student services. Second one was campus activities. And then the third one was fraternity and sorority life. And both, all of them were at different institutions. And yeah, you don't box, box yourself in. Uh, make sure that you have a wide variety of experiences that way, uh, when it comes time for the job search, you actually feel somewhat comfortable with what direction you plan on going in. Um, eat a lot of cookie cake. Yeah. I like cookie cake. Um, more seriously, I would challenge students to talk to people who are not in higher ed and have them ask them questions about why they want to go into higher ed. Like, what do you do? What would your day-to-day work life look like? You know, what would your hours be? What would your holiday schedule look like you know all these things that students don't think about when they're getting into the field and then you're in an internship that maybe is supposed to be 20 hours a week but it's actually 40 right so yeah. uh, having students really like 
be challenged with those, what are you getting yourself into questions, I think, is something that students like, oh, this is really fun. Like, I get to see my advisor at all these fun, like on campus events late at night, right? You're like, oh, I'm best friends with my advisor. And then you are you are that advisor and it's one o'clock in the morning and you're standing in a student center and you're like, oh, I'm an adult and I'm standing in a student center at one o'clock in the morning and somebody, a student just yelled at you because they're drunk and you are not. And you're like, wow, this is, this is my life. This is what I do to make my money. So or I would, that happens midday. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're like, oh, wow, this is my life. Like, cause I very much work at a public university mm-hmm. and that can happen at any time. Yeah. So I would just challenge students to like, really think about, you know, what is your driving motivation? And I hope that you have one because if you don't, it is going to be very hard to convince yourself that you love your work. And it's going to be very hard to convince yourself that you love your work enough to be paid lower consistently than many other industries. And while you may get great benefits, that's what I always tell my mom. I'm like, mom, but I get a lot of days off. Doesn't pay your bills. Days off don't pay your bills. Although they are nice and you get to mentally pay your bills, right? You get to like pay your mental bills, get to sleep (laughs) and go to the gym and like eat cookies. But mm-hmm. they, it is not always sunshine and rainbows. That's like my life motto. I'm like, it's not oh, it's sometimes it is, and that's great, and it should be, but not always. And so, like, convin- reminding yourself what you are going into. Um, I also, for students who are on the younger side, I would say like any younger than 28 there's a very real possibility that your students are going to be older than you for a very long time. Um, so thinking about what, um, what it means to work face to face with students who are the same age as you or older than you, or, you know, if you're five, one, like me, taller than you, um, not to say that I don't work with people who are taller than me on a regular basis, but (laughs) I just, I, I encourage students to think about the whole picture and not just the glamorous, campus activities life that they've lived for four years or residence life. I feel like those are two of the main avenues into higher ed as a profession. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think the piece that you bring up about knowing why you want to be in the field is important because I do a lot of talks about job searching and authenticity and Mm -hmm. mental health and stuff while like, and they're all like under the guise of being like leadership talks (laughs) and he was just like a weird thing for me to do, but I always end with having folks. It's the Simon Sinek thing. It's like, yeah. understand why, why are you wanting to do this? And that's like one of the main things I've ever taken from him. I think he's kind of gotten ridiculous in the last few years. But <laughs> I think that his focus on really, and I have to remind myself of it every day. And I, I, I tell them like, think of why you want to go into the field you're wanting to go into. Why yeah. are you wanting to be in advertising? Why do you want to go into accounting? Is it just because of money? Cool. If it's just because of money, then do whatever, make all that money, go on those vacations, get that jet ski, yeah. do whatever you want. But if it's really about like, you're wanting, um, to get something enriching and something fulfilling out of your work, then mm-hmm. you need to seek that environment that you, that you're yeah. in. And sometimes that means not taking the first job you're offered. Yep. Um, it means taking a hard look in the mirror. Um, I've had to have a lot of those conversations <laughs> with myself and with my partner and Same. colleagues. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that something you bring up is a really good point that, higher ed is a place where you do get a lot of fulfillment from your job most of the time. Right. Um, if you're doing it right, if you're doing it right, you're, you're usually getting it at least like three times a week, I would say. Um, but I, if you're someone and there are, there are many people, uh, my partner is one of them who doesn't necessarily need career fulfillment to feel fulfilled about their life. They seek that and receive that in other ways. Um, if you are not someone who like is generally necessarily needing fulfillment, then really thinking about what is your main motivation for getting in higher ed? Like, is it the vacation days? Like, is it the good benefits? I don't know. I feel like I do come across people sometimes who are like, well, 
I feel like this might be like a good thing for me to try. I'm like, it's like a, it's like heavy, right? Cause mm-hmm. the work we do is heavy and we work with students who, you know, I'll never forget. I got to graduate the first student that I admitted into a grad program last year. And she looked at me and she was like, I did this dude. Like I did this. And I just started bawling at commencement. I'm like, you did do it. it have nothing to do with me at all, right? Like you were totally qualified to go to graduate school, so you got in. But like I just it was like a, a moment. And so if you're not like looking for that, I feel like it might feel overwhelming because it is a lot of emotional stimuli all the time. It's like very like it affects the work that we do affects people's lives. And so if you are not necessarily an emotional being and not that I am particularly an emotional being but I find very much I find a lot of fulfillment in the work that I do in being able to help people change their lives through their education so I challenge people to think about if they really need that fulfillment if they might feel overwhelmed by all all of that fulfillment just it's a lot to handle sometimes (laughs) Well, there you have it. You know, this field is a lot to handle sometimes. And grad school is a lot. All of this stuff is a lot. And I just want to echo all of the great uh, suggestions that folks gave during this pot during this episode of the podcast. Uh, Take care of yourselves. Take care of your bodies. Take care of the people around you. Grad school is a time where there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of expectations, and yet you still got to go to school. It's still school. So make sure that you're looking out for yourself. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And know that like, just because you're in one assistantship right now doesn't mean that that that'll be the field that you go into or that's the focus you'll have when you get your first professional job or your second or your third. You might not really know what career you're having until a few jobs down the road. I mean, who knows? I might not be in wellness in a couple years. Who knows? Katie Ham might not be in student activities in a couple years. Who knows? Katie, do you have any suggestions for folks when it comes to grad school? Uh, don't, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) But, but really. It's hard. Grad school is very hard. And not like hard in a studying kind of way. Like that's doable. But like two years of the worst years of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Katie had a pretty rough experience. I did. Basically, I think doing research is one of the big things that Katie and I have talked about a lot when it comes to looking for a grad program. Ah, if only I would have known first-gen problems. First-gen problems. Can't wait to have a good first-gen chat on the podcast sometime. Yeah, that'd be a good one. It would be a good one. Maybe you or I can get onto that. Okay. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Well, how did you take care of... What was your self-care during grad school? (laughs) You went to a lot of hockey games. I did go to a lot of hockey games. Uh, I also had one of my best friends living with me, whom I also convinced not to go to grad school or not to go specifically to the place I went. And they did it anyway. <laughs> she did it anyway. <laughs> but it was wonderful. It was good to have her so that we could deal with it together. Make I friends. Made, I made, made some friends with some of the undergrad students, too. Yeah. The dads. The dads. Oh, Matt Palmer, who I've uh, hyped up in the past, is one of the dads. Yeah. Maybe I'll put a little plug in the notes for... Uh, Matt's uh, graphic design work. Yeah, he just got some stuff from one of the bands he was working with. Yeah, pretty cool. cool. All right. Well, that was a two-part episode on grad prep. If you like what you heard, tell some friends, tell folks. Yeah, that would really help us. And if you liked what you heard from Kindling on this episode, go to 6131records.com. Get some digital copies or some physical copies get physical with your music that's how i like to get physical with my music oh yeah if you like playlists that correspond with podcasts 
definitely check out the Spotify playlist that I've made, that I've tagged in the show notes. All the music that you have ever heard on this podcast yeah, is going to be... That's a cool in, idea. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool idea. All in one place. All also, in one place. If you have any ideas of who we should interview, tweet that at us. Yeah, at EduPunksPod, E-D-U-P-U-N-X-Pod. Tell Katie who you want that who you want them to interview, who you want me to interview, or I don't know, maybe if you want to interview someone, I don't know. This is uh, this is uh, whatever. This is a podcast anyone can do stuff on. That's that's where we are at right now. Kind of like if you want to help out, if you want to be a part of this, cool, whatever, help us out. Uh, this is that's how communities work. All right, we'll be back next week. With a cool conversation with one of my coworkers at UMass Boston. Uh, and until then, have fun, take care of each other, take care of yourself, and uh, let's get to work. <laughs>